Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? Beautiful Wednesday morning. <clears throat> Although they are calling for lots of turbulent weather today. Some snow potentially on the, in the forecast. Although I am skeptical. Nonetheless, we are here because there's just too much to talk about. There's just too much to talk about this morning. And, uh, you know, there's been a little bit of, of, of news regarding the fact that the new administration has not called, um, has not called Bibi. The new administration has not called Bibi yet. Why not? Why hasn't Biden called Bibi? This is troubling many. Why hasn't Biden called Bibi? Now, of course, of course, many people are asking this question because they think there's a Biden. We know there's no Biden. But nonetheless, the fact that there hasn't been a, a call yet, even for the, for the sake of, of, of ceremony, you know, just to keep up appearances, the question is why? You know, a lot of people assume that this must be because there must be some sort of rationale. Must be some sort of rationale. I'm going to pose a number of different potential theories that are circulating, let's say. So, the number one theory, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, let it play, I'm going to play a little clip here first, actually. I'm going to play a little clip here. Jen Saki. She, circle back Saki, she has been asked this question. And this is her response. This was her response when she was asked this question. I'll play the whole clip. There's lots to discuss about this clip. Today we have two very... Was the one-week suspension instead of a potential resignation? Uh, I don't have an update. He is looking forward to speaking with Prime Minister Netanyahu. I can assure you that will be soon, but I don't have a specific time or deadline or time or date for when that will occur. As I'm sure you know, there's a narrative in, in Israel that this is an intentional diss. Is it? It, it is not an intentional diss. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is someone the president has known for some time. Obviously, we have uh, a long and important relationship with Israel, uh, and uh, the president has known him uh, and has been working on a range of issues that there's a mutual uh, commitment to for some time. Uh, it is just a reflection of the fact that we have been here for three and a half weeks. He's not called every single global leader yet, uh, and he is eager to do that in the weeks ahead. Major ally in Europe and, and in Asia. Uh, he's called many of them. Uh, that is true. Uh, some, some would argue they haven't received calls yet and that they are still eager to receive them. But uh, I can assure you he will be speaking with the prime minister soon and he's looking forward to doing that. Go ahead. Just to follow up on Anne, are you talking about days or weeks as the time frame of uh, the president speaking with Netanyahu? I don't, I don't have an exact uh, timeline to give you uh, other than uh, he's looking forward to having the conversation. They've known each other for some time. Uh, there are certainly areas of mutual interest. Um, and uh, as soon as he makes that call, we will let you all know. On the issue of the Middle East, I mean, I know that you're saying that, you know, things are still under review, including policies like the Abraham, Abraham Accords. 
So can you please just give a, a, a broad sense of what the administration is trying to achieve in the Middle East? For example, does the administration still consider the, the Saudis and the Israelis important allies? Uh, well, uh, you know, again, I think we uh, there are ongoing processes and internal interagency processes, one that we, I think, confirmed in an interagency meeting just last week to discuss a range of issues uh, in the Middle East. Um, we're, we've only been here three and a half weeks, uh, and I think I'm going to let those policy processes see them. Okay. She said nothing. I just paused. I can't go on any further. She said nothing. Nothing. The reporters are asking decent questions. They want to know if there's a, a vision. They want to know if there's a plan. They want to know something. Why? Because Israel is considered to be an ally of America. Israel is, is, is an important ally of America. Like it or not, you know, you can have all sorts of attitudes towards that. On, on the broad scale, on the, on the world, on the, on the world scale, they don't look at the, at the, at the, uh, uh, internal conflicts that we might have with the state of Israel. They're looking at what does Israel mean to America? And since Israel is considered to be an ally, the fact that the president, quote unquote, has not called Bibi yet suggests that there's some sort of reason why. So the number one reason that's, let's say, circulating these days, the number one reason is that uh, it's because he doesn't want to give Bibi some sort of boost. Surely if if Biden were to call uh, the president, if Biden were to call Bibi King Bibi, so then surely that would mean that he would, that he's giving his vote of confidence and that would bode well for... So that's a theory. That's a theory. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I personally don't think there is a theory. I don't think that, I, th- I think that, I think that there is something to suggest that he hasn't only since all the backlash has come that he should, you know, I, and I think, I think maybe there's actually today, potentially there's says that, there, you know, there's, there's almost as though the attitude is, oh well, now we have to actually act as though we have a reason because we haven't done it yet, so we must have a reason why we haven't done it. I don't think that there was necessarily a reason why they hadn't done it. I don't think that there is. I don't. I don't think that they're operating with any sort of reason. I think that there's a lot of reactionary politics going on. I think that the the, the, the new administration is doing a lot of reactionary politicking. Uh, I don't think that they have a cohesive plan for the Middle East. I don't think that they have any idea. You know, they know that Iran good, Saudi bad. Iran Iran good. You know, they have to. They want to try to deal with Iran on on, on their way. In their way, one of the ideas of Victor Davis Hanson, we quote a lot, he said about the president uh, at one point, I'm not going to pull it up here, I'm just going to go to my memory, but the idea that the president was never going to be re- uh, respected. The president was always going to be a tragic hero character simply because he was doing things that the ex- establishment never succeeded doing in, in, in non-conventional ways. You're never going to be applauded when you do something that they've been trying to do for decades, doing it different, doing it differently. You're never going to be, be applauded for that. So the idea that that they are they are now going to respect him, on the contrary, they think that they had the system right the whole way. Why? Because that's what they've been doing. That's what they've been doing. So I don't think that there's a that there's a, a cohesive a, 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 any sort of agenda here, any sort of agenda here. But that's definitely one of this. One of the ideas here, one of the rationale for for why Amer- uh, the new administration hasn't called BB is because they don't want to give him a boost. But could this backfire? 
Could this suggest to Israel that they need Bibi? Could actually the fact that that Israel might Israelis who are going to election might not feel that America is in their back is is in is in their is in their back is in their, is in their uh, is going to be there to defend them? Could this mean that that's going to be a factor as to who people vote for? You know, there's all sorts of domestic issues, all sorts of domestic crises. But unfortunately, who else do we have on the front stage that could stand up? To uh, conf- in, 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 in a foreign conflict, who else do we have? Uh, you know, look at the look at the look at the the main uh, the main characters here: Bennett, Lieberman, Lapid. I mean, you know, none of them have the uh, none of them have the uh, po- the power of of Bibi, like it or not. So that definitely, you know, if people don't think that America is going to be in, in in our corner, it could definitely work out that America, that Israelis will then vote for Bibi. So there's all sorts of conflicting messages here, which is all stemming, from, stemming in my opinion, from nothing. I don't think they have an idea what they're doing. I don't think that there was, they were, I don't think they were not con- contacting Bibi. I just, you know, she didn't even know how long. She didn't know how long their relationship is. You know, Forty years, approximately. She has no idea. She has no idea how long what their relationship is. Her last dribble at the end, interagency meeting, and she we're, we're deciding what the interagency, interagency. These words should really scare us. What these words interagency even mean? Uh, the president, the president had very strong support in Israel prior to the election. And that's because people trusted him. They trusted that he was concerned about Israel, if only because of America. But he recognized Israel's importance to Middle East, to, 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 to the Middle East, and to America's safety. America knows what terrorism is. America's seen it. So you know, that, what does this mean for Israel? What, what does this mean for America? Does this, what does this mean for America's America's standing? There's lots to talk about there. What does it mean for America's standing in the world? Is America losing any sort of position? You know, America America has a lot of influence. Is that only because of their their funds? Is it only because of the money that they give? So this is a this is a, a this is a very big issue. And if, if we think that it's if we think that that we if we think that, Amer- that America actually currently has it a plan. There's a small story that you know I, I didn't really see it too many places. I saw it one story, one one place. There's this uh, militant group called the Houthi Houthi militant group. Well, last week this is the story is this is, is early this week, so it was last week. Last week, Joe Biden, the Joe Biden administration removed the terrorist designation from the Houthis, which was put in place by Mike Pompeo under President Trump. This week, the Houthis bombed an airport in Saudi Arabia. So. The fact that the Houthis exist is really irrelevant. There are unfortunately lots of militant groups, and there's all sorts of inner conflicts happening in, in you know in, in these countries. You know, different 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 civil wars. The, the, that's that's really irrelevant. But the point is, is that America, uh, Pompeo had designated this group a terrorist group, and then one of the first things that they do when they come in this new administration is they remove that that label because they're reactionary. They don't have a plan. They don't understand why Pompeo did that. Pompeo did it. Bad. Bad. We don't want it. We don't want that. We don't want that. If Pompeo did it, 
It must be a bad idea. <clears throat> Iranian backed Houthi militants in Yemen, in Yemen bombed an airport in Saudi Arabia on Wednesday, just days after the Biden administration lifted the group's terrorist designation. Last Friday, the Biden administration removed the terror designation placed on the Houthis by former Secretary Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. The Houthis, who control significant territory along Saudi Arabia's border with Yemen, have called for cooperation with the terrorist group Hezbollah in future wars against Israel. Excuse me. And Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu said in 2019 that Iran has sought ways to launch missiles at Israel from the Houthi-controlled territory. Now, how did Reuters, how did Reuters respond to this? What was Reuters' response? Because this is the point here. How did Reuters respond? Listen to how Reuters respond before the, uh, before the bombing, before the terrorist attack. Before the terrorist attack. The United States confirmed on Friday that it plans to drop the Houthi movement's terrorist designation in response to Yemen's humanitarian crisis. The move reverses one of Trump administration's most criticized last-minute decisions. It also came a day after President Joe Biden declared a halt to U.S. support for the Saudi Arabia-led military campaign in Yemen, which is widely seen as a proxy conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Who's the official Mohammed? So here, so so we don't want to, we don't want to decide who's who we're going to support. Saudi Arabia is better than Iran. Iran's better than Saudi. Arabia. We're not going to decide. We're not getting involved. So therefore, if if the president did this, we're gonna we're gonna remove it because we don't want to show our support. Well, well, maybe there's a reason why why these reporters are asking if the new administration sees Saudi Arabia and Israel as allies. Maybe there's a reason why they're asking that question. You know, it's a, the, the, the Reuters tweet, this is from a tweet, it didn't, it didn't age very well. Yeah, it didn't age very well after this, after, the, after this terrorist attack. But we are approaching this from the wrong angle because we assume that there's some sort of agenda. No, unfortunately, what happens often is, and this is what we, see, what we saw with the Obama administration, they messed up many times and they covered it up by suggesting that they have a great, big, grand plan. That's what they did. That's what war often is. War often is when you want to look like you're doing something, so you come out in full force. It's really, it was really a lot of restraint on the president's side. The restraint that he didn't go to war. He had opportunities to go to war. He had lots of people telling him to go to war. Lots of people. But he didn't go to war. Because war should not just be reactionary. War should not be to to cover up certain scandals. War shouldn't just be to make it look like you're doing something. You go to war. You put soldiers' lives at risk. You have to have a reason, a legitimate reason. If you can accomplish your goals without going to war, and what did the president accomplish? He accomplished tremendous goals. You hear that reporter, she asked, the Abraham Accords. The president had a vision. He had a vision. There was no vision there was no vision in previous administrations. Achieve peace. How? What are you going to do? What's your goal? And so we just assume 
we just assume that they must have that they must have some sort of of reason. They must have some sort of reason. Unfortunately, they just they don't know what they're doing. That's the honest truth. They don't know what they're doing, and they know that the media is always going to cover for them. They know the media is always going to cover them, cover for them, so they don't need to know what they're doing. They don't need to have a plan. And unfortunately, when things go wrong, they'll often just, you know, they'll they'll they'll, they'll blame it on some sort of video, some sort of video. That's the problem. Benghazi, we didn't drop the ball there. We didn't let people die because we refused to respond to terrorist activity, terrorist uh, reports. No, no, no. People didn't die. Four Americans didn't die because they're some sort of video. This is, how they, this is how they respond. They don't have a plan. That's the reality. Moving over to <clears throat> the... Um, the vaccine is, of course, bringing some very interesting statements out of some prominent Litvische Russia Yeshiva. We can't know whether or not these statements are true. We haven't heard it from them themselves. But we can at the very least report it because that's how, we, that's how everything is. It's very hard to know what was actually said. But we'll report. It's coming out of Sheva. Rabbi Baruch Dov Povarsky, Beryl Povarsky, Yeshiva of Ponovich, Dean of Ponovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak, speaks out harshly against teachers who refuse to receive vaccination. Does he think he is smarter than great Torah leaders? Wow. Wow. Now that, that's a, that's a very powerful uh, statement. Does he think he is smarter than great Torah leaders? It reminds me of an incident. I was driving a prominent speaker in the from world and I asked him if he'd like for me to wear a mask. And I told him, I asked him if he'd like for me to wear a mask and he, t- and I, and he told me, yeah, I think you should. That's the Kedalim want us to do. Or something to that effect. And I asked him, I said, uh, I said, yeah, I said, that's what the Kedalim tell us to do. The Kedalim have, you know, investigated the science of masks. And he said, do you think you know something that Kedalim don't know? And of course, my initial reaction is, well, I mean, the Kedalim Bakshim have things that are more important that they do. Uh, they're, you know, they're learning to her all day. And unfortunately, I waste my time with other, other things. Uh, so I wouldn't expect them to, uh, have listened to every source or read every source. But that doesn't mean that they're not, that they're, who says that they're influenced by people who are, Giving them all the information. Maybe that they're maybe they're getting information from people who also don't have all the information. Why why, why are we supposed to believe that every single Godel gets all the information? Is that one of the tenets of our belief system? It's not possible that Godel can be misinformed. That it's not possible that Godel could be given information that is biased. Why you know? I mean, maybe maybe there's an argument to be made that it can't happen. Our Messiah dictates that it's not possible. I don't know. That's a different question. But um, at the very least, you know, we, we're listening to uh, the statement here. Is it possible you know something that we that the, the, the great leaders don't know? Rabbi Baruch Dov Pavarsky on Tuesday morning said that a teacher who does not get vaccinated 
is not worthy of being a teacher. Rabbi Pavarsky made the statement on Tuesday when the head of a countrywide network of Talmud Torah schools for boys arrived at his home in order to discuss whether a principal can obligate his teachers to receive the coronavirus vaccine. He also asked Rabbi Pavarsky if he can put those refusing to vaccinate on unpaid leave. thereby creating an incentive for teachers to receive the vaccination. Before you ask me questions on Jewish law regarding finances, and if an employer has the right to demand an employee do such a thing, the rabbi said, ask yourself if such a teacher is even worthy of teaching the Jewish people's holy children. Any person who takes no responsibility for the lives of his students and the members of their families who may, God forbid, suffer harm and become sick because of him, is this person worthy of being an educator? Do we not have the opinions of great Torah leaders who stated that we should receive the vaccination? Does this teacher think he is is smarter than great Torah leaders? Do you think this person is so worthy of serving as an example in the education of Israel's children? Earlier this week, earlier this week, Khan News reported that Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Silman, who is a senior rabbinic judge, I've heard much about him, ruled at one point I was expe- I was suggested to go to speak to him about a certain issue in B'nai Brak, somebody who <clears throat> did something to me in B'nai Brak. There was, there was, someone told me, Ellie, go speak to Rabbi Yehuda Silman. He's also a businessman. He has a businessman's mind. He ruled that all teaching staff, it's been very much sliach, uh, as far as I know, rule that all teaching staff can be obligated to receive the vaccination regardless of where and who they teach. In this ruling, in Jewish law, Rabbi Yehuda Silman, Rabbi Silman wrote, an employer may obligate his employees to receive the vaccination. A principal of an educational institution may obligate the teachers to receive the vaccination. And a yeshiva dean may obligate the students to receive the vaccination. Earlier on Tuesday, Rabbi Yehuda Edelstein, the other head of B'nai Rak's Panovich Yeshiva, said that Yeshiva students should remain in Yeshiva on Purim. This year it is even more important than any other year to ensure that all of the Yeshiva de- deans take care that their students remain in Yeshiva over Purim and learn, and not do not wander between houses at all, not even during the festive meal. He added, in this fashion we will be saved from the plague. Now, you know, when you think about it, when you think about it, their approach here is is very circular. Their their, their approach is very circular. I'm not even speaking about the the um, obviously, but I'm saying as far as the 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 way that it you know it's being presented. Surely, if if we want to end, we would never have done. We would never have done everything that we've done this year if not the, the fact that the virus is as dangerous as we claim. We would never have done everything we've done this year if not for the fact that the virus is as dangerous as we, as we claim. So therefore, surely the virus must be as dangerous. That's the only uh, logical approach. It must be that this that this virus deserves the response. And if it was deserves the response, then the vaccine is and, and the vaccine is the only solution. So we must have. It must mean that people are going to be forced. To, the people should be forced to take the vaccine. 
That's the logic here. Remember that. That is the logic. The virus is as dangerous as we claim because we would never have done what we've done if the virus wasn't as dangerous as we claim. And there is no solution other than the vaccine. How the vaccine works, the vaccine doesn't really stop COVID from spreading that according to their own rules, that if there's still asymptomatic spread, the COVID vaccine only just minimizes, it just minimizes a person's potential side effect, a, pers- a, a person's reaction. That's the only thing the COVID vaccine does. Have they, have, have, has, has all this been explained to them? I don't know. I don't know. But surely, surely if the, if the, if there's no solution other than the vac- vaccine, and we would never have done everything we've done in order to, unless the virus was as dangerous as it was, then there must be that the solution is this. Maybe there is an argument to be made that Bahram shouldn't be traveling around. They should just be learning on Purim. I, I happen to think that there's a, a great, a, 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 a strong logic to that. Kimu v'kiblu. That's Purim. The, but the fact that our Messiah, the fact that through millennia, that the focus on tefillah and the focus on learning wasn't the sole focus and there were mitzvahs of the day that share the focus of Purim, it must mean that there must be something to that. Must be something to that. There's a new article that came out against ivermectin. The fight against low-cost and highly effective ivermectin has begun. Dozens of studies and several meta-studies have already found low-cost ivermectin to be highly effective against COVID. In January, even the U.S. NIH had to change its stance from negative to neutral. Detractors of ivermectin had to act, but they knew this time it wouldn't be easy. In their fight against low-cost HCQ, which was also found to be effective in the early treatment of high-risk patients, thanks to its anti-inflammatory and anti-thrombotic properties, detractors published a made-up study in The Lancet and ran trials with toxic overdoses in ICU patients called the Solidarity and Recovery Trials. But ivermectin is very difficult to overdose, and unlike HCQ, it works as a prophylaxis against infection and even in ICU patients. Thus, it would be much more difficult to design a deceptive study against ivermectin. Finally, a solution was found. A U.S. pharmaceutical company, Merck, one of the manufacturers of patent-free ivermectin, has just published a statement simply claiming without evidence that their unpublished analysis had identified no scientific basis for a potential therapeutic effect against COVID-19 from preclinical studies, no meaningful evidence for clinical activity or clinical efficacy in patients with COVID-19 disease, and, and a concerning lack of safety data in the majority of studies. Now, what's most shocking about this, you'll hear, an NIH operative quickly retweeted the Merck statement, adding Merck's statement on ivermectin is the leadership and commitment to quality translational science that we need to see from pharma biotech. In reality, Merck's claim is completely baseless and also ironic. Why? Well, after having sold ivermectin for several decades without safety issues, Merck now suddenly questions its safety. Amazing. Merck, interestingly, recently signed a $356 million deal to supply the U.S. with a much more expensive, newly developed experimental anti-COVID drug. Meanwhile, YouTube, as we mentioned, removed the C-SPAN video of FLCC President Dr. Pierre Corey's U.S. Senate testimony on ivermectin. 
where he was crying on on the, on the stage on the stand. He was crying that the NIH and the CEC and the FDA haven't devoted any personnel to reappropriating existing drugs. The reality is this, a low-cost and highly effective drug against COVID like ivermectin would disrupt not only the multi-billion dollar global vaccine campaign, which does indeed lack long-term safety and efficacy data, but also follow up lockstep policies like vaccine passports, smartphone-based global contact monitoring, as well as programs like ID2020 and Known Traveler promoted by vaccine investor Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, and similar groups. So there's no solution to the virus. We would never have done everything if not for the facts. Why would we do that? We have nothing to gain. We have nothing to gain. Why would we do that? So it must mean, it must mean that the only reason we've done it is because this plague is upon us and there's no solution. There's no solution. That's that's the that's the logic. It's amazing. Is I remind, I'm remember, I'm, I'm I'm remembering. I'm remembering. I don't can't I can't find it. I was looking for it earlier, and then I got distracted. I was gonna. Um, there was a court case in Israel about politics. I'm trying to look for it, I can't find it now. There was a a court case where where. Um, you know, within unfortunately within the uh, Haredi world, uh, there is a pro, uh, a very widespread machlekes, um, very widespread fight taking place, and um, and uh, one of the sides sued the other because of politics. It's politics. It's political. One side they said that you're not allowed to um, you're not allowed to discriminate. I'm forgetting the story. I want to. I want to remember the exact which side won. I'm pretty sure that that Rabbi Sarotskin, Shlomber Sarotskin, Shlomber Sarotskin won. If I'm not mistaken, that you are allowed to discriminate, but it wasn't so clear. That was the point. It wasn't so clear. You weren't allowed. You are. The argument was you're not allowed to discriminate. You're not allowed to kick me out of your kolel just because I don't agree with your politics. I'm not mistaken. That was the argument, and I think that the that the the, the, the Kerala won, and they were allowed to to discriminate. I'm not mistaken. I, I I'm forgetting now the exact details. I was going to look it up earlier. In any case, the point is is that is that the the attitude the attitude here is is that there is no nobody nobody no why, why do you what do you think you know that we don't know? What do you? It's a shock. It's a shocking statement. This, I have to tell you, it's a shocking. It's a, it was shocking for me to see in the name of again. It could be it's not true. It could be that Rebel never said it. It's a shocking statement for me to see in the name of Rebel Pavarsky that what is this person? What's the point? What's the, what's the, what does it matter? What does it matter whether or not he he knows something? Can you force him to take this vaccine? Isn't that the question? Isn't that the question? Whether or not he knows something, he doesn't want to take it. Can you force it? In any case, it is the, it is the state of, of of exactly where things are. You know, another rabbi Chabad Chabad apparently the Av Bezin of Chabad ruled that you're not allowed to enter a shul if you're not. Um, if uh, another uh, uh, you're not allowed to enter a Chabad shul if you're not vaccinated. I just saw a statement 
from the from Israel that only shul, that if a shul is following the rules, it will not allow children under 16. Well, we know why, because children under 16 aren't allowed to be vaccinated yet. They'll get there. They just apparently uh, ruled that they're they're going to be they're going to start they're going to start um, vaccinating people who've already had the virus who are who are recovered. Machlimim. That's the next one. That's the next one out there. So it's going to take some time for them. Then they'll force it on children, and parents will willfully send their children up to be vaccinated in order to remove this plague, a plague that has zero effect virtually on children, a plague that has zero effect virtually on people under 45, and a plague that has a very, very minor effect on people between 45 and, and, and 65. But is it possible that we would have done what we've done over the last year if this wasn't as serious as we claim? Are you talking? It's not possible. Now follow that circular logic there. Another article, another article came out. Nearly three out of four people in the United States plan to continue wearing masks in public even after the COVID-19 pandemic ends. According to a survey conducted by Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, four out of five said they will also continue to avoid crowds. Four to five. So, so baseball and hockey, football, basketball, those are finished. You need 50,000 people in the stands there. 25,000 people in the stands there. What are they going to do? And 90% of participants said they will maintain frequent hand washing and sanitizer use after the coronavirus has been contained. While the progress we are making toward recovery is exciting, it's critical that we don't ease up on the precautions that we know have worked thus far, Dr. Ian Gonsenhauser said in a statement. Masks and physical distancing are still our best weapons for limiting spread. And now that we have a vaccine, we will make those precautions even more effective and we'll drive new cases way down if we stay the course, said Gonsenhauser, the chief quality and patient safety officer at Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. By continuing these practices may the continuing these practices may ease the anxiety of returning to public spaces. People complain about anxiety when watching television and seeing crowds. Television from, you know, years ago and seeing crowds. Can you imagine people have complained about that? The anxiety. The anxiety. Well, there's another way to ease the anxiety. Tell them it's okay. Wearing a mask, for example, can limit the spread of all respiratory viruses, including COVID nineteen and the flu. Among respondents, 72% of Americans said that they plan to continue to wear masks in public after COVID-19 stops spreading around the country. And around 80% indicated they will still avoid crowds to limit their risk for getting infected. Continuing these practices could lead to significant improvements in overall public health, as evidenced by the mild flu season across the, much of the United States this winter. Isn't it interesting how the flu has completely disappeared? 95% of the flu is gone. Isn't that interesting? Do we think that those numbers are real? Well, you know, they're not reporting them, so they must be real. Just like Cuomo's deaths in the nursing homes. They weren't reported, so they must not have happened. Flu cases and hospitalizations are way down compared to recent years, and a lot of that is likely because precautions like masking, physical distancing, and hand hygiene are working to prevent the flu. I'm all for improving hygiene. I think people should be washing their hands with soap more frequently. No problem. But masks? No. 
and I'm not saying they should do it for any reason other than that. I think that personal hygiene in general is 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 better. Does that mean that the government should come and mandate how frequently you should wash your hands with Purell, rinse your hand, you know, cleanse your hands with Purell? Is this true? Let's ask the first question. Is this true? Is this is this another example of people virtue signaling to the pollsters? This was this was two thousand people who were polled here. That's it, two thousand people. Let's assume it's a scientific. Is this true? Look around us right now. Let's ask this question. Is it true? Well, is it going to be a law? Do we think it's going to be a law? Are people are people is the law going to be that people are going to have to continue to vac to to, to wear masks? Is it the law? Is that the law that they're going to have to? They're going to have to wear masks. If it's the law, well, unfortunately, I think that we're going to continue to see this. If the law changes, if the law changes, I think that a lot of people are going to continue to virtue signal, and I think that a lot of people will eventually stop. And a lot of people will stop. But, you know, it's not hard to believe necessarily that it is true. When you think about the fact of how divided we are, you know, we're, we're, we're bordering 45-55. I think that we're still stronger conservative, but we're bordering 45-55. So if we're 55%, let's say conservative, let's just say, remember, that 45% is with an indoctrination of the schools, it's with the 24-7 media coverage, it's with everything, that 45%. So it's, it's amazing how people are still able to think for themselves somewhat. And yet, even within the 55% conservative, look at how many people on the conservative side have bought it. So is it possible that it's three out of four? I don't know. I don't know, but it's concerning. It's concerning nonetheless. I wanted to share another story yesterday, and we're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up with this. But um, uh, Aunt Jemima, remember Aunt Jemima? Aunt Jemima is no longer going to be called Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima is now going to be called Pearl Milling Milling Pearl Milling Company. Almost sounds Jewish. That's not my line. Who said that line? Stephen Crowder maybe said that line. Almost sounds Jewish. Pearl. Pearl Milling. Pearl Milling. But that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. So this is this is shocking. They're going to keep the same shape of the bottle, obviously, and the red label, but. Aunt Jemima herself was being taken off. Who was Aunt Jemima? Well, Green, a former slave who moved to Chicago to work as a caretaker for a prominent white family, was hired to portray a living version of the character at the 1893 World's Fair. According to her obituaries, she was later hired to play the role of the Pancake Company until her death. Is this... Is there anybody that thinks it's wrong to keep Aunt Jemima on is anybody insulted? Are any blacks really concerned over this? In September of 2020, Uncle Ben's rice changed to Ben's original without Uncle Ben. So, Aunt Jemima, whatever that brand is worth, is now, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a virtue signal to the left, is now going to completely destroy whatever brand it had 
however much hundreds of millions or billions of dollars that brand could have been sold for. It's going to change its name from Aunt Jemima to Pearl Milling. And now when you go to the store, I mean, if I was its competition, whatever its competition, whoever its competition is to Aunt Jemima, I think this is great. I think they, this is this is wonderful. Go go woke, go broke. It's a beautiful thing. You continue this, Aunt Jemima. So now they're taking off the black lady because somehow people are insulted and they're going to and they're going to and and, and, and they're changing the name from Aunt Jemima because it's racially insensitive. And the people who are going to profit off this are the competitors. And of course, the woke world gets to laugh and say, look at what we've gotten you to do. Look at what we've accomplished. It's shocking to think that they're willing to do this. But then again, this is the wonderful world that we live in. It's the wonderful world that we live in. It's been our show today. <clears throat> we hope you have a great day. And please, God, we'll be with you again here tomorrow morning. This is, I'm Ali Shapiro. This is the morning mix. And you have a great day.